Recording in progress. All right, my friends. I'll tell. I can tell you later. Yeah. All right. Good. Good morning. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to Daily Power Parashas, Peachy Parsha Monday edition. Our in-person online hybrid. If you come in person, you can grab a lunch. If you're online, lunch is on you. You got to bring your own lunch. B Y. Bring your own lunch. B Y O L. All right. So this is a brand new week. Brand new. Parsha. This week's parsha is Vayeshev. Vayeshev. This is it. This is my. This is what I love. This, I love it all, but I also love, especially, the story of Yosef. We're about to jump into the story of Yosef, Joseph, and the Technicolor dream coat or the coat of many colors, as we will explore today. Okay, so let's pull it up on the screen so that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, he was the star of a musical. No, yeah. no, you. Oh, you uh, me. In Canada or something. That was Exodus. Exodus. Okay. That was. I was Moses. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't Joseph. I was Moses. Yeah, I actually. I, I think I said I actually had a sheep. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually had a sheep. Like a, a baby a sheep ball. that I would hold, legit, with a staff. Very Moses. Very Moses-esque. All right, Vayeshev, let's get this going. Can you imagine me holding a sheep? I gotta get, I gotta get footage of that. There's video yeah. somewhere. There's, uh, there's video out there. Well, you like cats. You like cute little cats. Yeah, unless they scratch, and then, then, then all bets are off. Yeah, my oh. father, he wouldn't touch when I was growing up my cat, but he loved, he loved her. Yeah, it's kind of cool to have, you know, some, some life around. Yeah. All right, here we go. Torah reading for Vayeshev. Reading number one, Genesis chapter 37. Okay, this is it. You know what's crazy? <laughs> Think about Jacob's life, Yaakov, Yisrael, whatever you want to call him, right? Yaakov, the third patriarch. Think about his life. He grows up as a twin. His childhood is filled with drama. His, you know, his teenage years filled with drama. He's dealing with his brother. You imagine around the dinner table every day, you know, you have Esau comes in from the hunt. Mm -hmm. Yaakov studied Torah that day. You know, the conversation. It's like, it's, it's a complicated relationship. And then he takes the birthright, then he takes the blessings, and he leaves home. He has to run away from home. He's with love on the drama. He marries, marries again. He's, his wives got switched. Crazy. And he, the, his daughter's abducted. Dina's abducted and assaulted, right? Like, all this drama to him. And then he encounters Esau again, and he's afraid for his life, and it all works out well. Fighting with, the angel. Fighting with the angel, how to forget about it. This guy lived a full life three times over. And you would think, at this point, he can retire. In fact, the first word of the Torah portion is Vayeshev. Vayeshev, Yaakov, and Yaakov dwelt. Vayeshev is like Shav, like Shabbat. It means he sat, he dwelled. He settled in. You know, settled in is actually a very good word. Vayeshev Yaakov, if I were translating this, I would say, and Jacob Yaakov settled in. Oh, it's literally this in the, in the um, Kutnik edition. Yaakov settled in. Perfect. I could write this thing. Yaakov, Jacob settles in. What does it mean, settle in? Imagine like a comfy chair. Yeah, imagine a comfy chair. And you just like, oh, finally can relax after a long complicated day slash life for Yaakov. And as Rashi points out, all he wanted to do was lay shave b'shalva. 
was to dwell in a state of tranquility. All he wanted to do was coast. And God says, you think it's going to be a retirement? You think it's going to be easy now? You think you're going to coast to the finish line? Not happening. The greatest drama of his life is about to come, and that is the loss of his son, Yosef. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yaakov. Huh? doesn't seem to take the because it's my Hebrew name. No, 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 it's in Rashi. Rashi says it. Here, I'll show you where. Look in the second side of Rashi. No, um, on the right side. Uh, the right side, but the second, the, se- the, the left side, the left, uh, yeah, there. One, two, three, four, five lines down. Page, sorry, 242. So one, two, three, four, five lines in. Look in the middle of the line, uh, a little bit past the middle, where there's a period. You see it says, Va'od Nidrash Bo. There's another drash. Vayeshev. What is Vayeshev? Bikesh Yaakov Leshev Bishalva. Yaakov wanted to dwell Bishalva in a state of peace and tranquility. Kafetz Alav, Rogzosha Yosef. And what happened was, instead, it jumped on him the drama and the trauma of Yosef. There you go. So much for intentions. Yaakov wanted Leshev B'Shalva. Shalva is your Hebrew name. Beautiful. Shalva, peace and tranquility. Mm-hmm. That's all he wanted. After all this, after this complicated life, not happening. Not, not in God's script. Now, why not? Why, why doesn't he deserve to live in Shalva and peace? Listen, I, I, I don't have the answer. I'm just, it's a good question. It's probably Yaakov's question. You know, can I catch a break? Can I just have an easy life? At some point, after all the drama, I've, I've withstood all the challenges. I've come out, you know, sane and okay after all of it. And now the loss of his beloved Yosef, which we haven't yet read, but that's obviously what's going to happen as we know the story. Yosef was gone from him for, I think, 22 years. That's not like, you know, he was missing for six months or missing for a year. 22 years without a son. This is the greatest drama and trauma of his life. Is, so is, why didn't the son co- contact the father? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. My, uh, I, the question may be better than the answers. That's my preface. I have the same question as you. We're in the same boat. In other words, your question is, once Yosef becomes settled, viceroy, whatever it is, send a telegram, pick up the phone, whatever, make a plan, make a visit, right? Right. What's going on? How, how, how did he just like, let, let his father you know, languish in, uh, in anguish? Languish in anguish? Is that, is that a phrase that works? Maybe. <laughs> anyway, I, I, the question may be better than any answer that I can give, but some answers that I've seen, number one, I, I mean, the, the main answer that I can recall offhand, and I, I would have to look this up to get a bit of a broader you know, uh, pool of, of, of responses. But one answer that I recall is that, that Hashem had not, Hashem had not, re- Hashem had chosen not to reveal it to Yaakov, who was Yosef, to go and reveal it. But I don't know. I mean, I could say that we could always say that, right? Like, hey, listen, imagine, you know, imagine a wife gets pregnant. She says, she thinks about, it. all right, listen, as when God lets my husband know, I'll let my husband. I mean, like, great. Right, sometimes we just tell things because we tell things. Like, 
Uh, do we wait always for God to do it first? Not necessarily. I, I don't know. I don't, that's what I'm saying. The question may be better than the answer. Another answer might be that Yosef was waiting for the brothers to do tshuva. Imagine if he came home and said, hey guys, long time no see. The brothers would have been finished. Yaakov would have been angry. I mean, can you imagine the, the fallout for the brothers? But this way, after this long and drawn out story, which we haven't yet read inside, obviously, but we're just starting it, this way, the brothers end up doing tshuva because they defend Binyamin when Binyamin is taken. So they come full circle, so they've kind of fixed what they did, and this gave them an opportunity. This protracted experience gave the brothers an opportunity to fix, to be metakain, to fix up the error. But again, I, the question is a very good question. These are some responses, but perhaps we'll, uh, we'll get into it as we go through the story. Yeah. Joseph has the same experience of being betrayed by his brothers like Yaakov that was betrayed yeah. by his brothers. Yeah. Well, who betrayed who with Yaakov? Oh, yeah, he started. You could, be, you could, could argue. I mean, no, his brother wanted to kill him. His, right. So Yosef's brothers wanted to kill, want to kill him also. Yeah, there is a similarity between Yaakov and Yosef. There's also the fact that they're away from home for a number of years. Think about it. Yaakov is away from home by Lavan for 20 plus years. Yosef is away from his house. It says actually that is brought down in the, in the commentaries that um, Yaakov being away from home for all those years, that leads to Yosef being away from home, although it wasn't either their fault, but it's kind of like uh, a parallel mirror story. All right, but let's, get, let's jump in um, into our text again. Genesis, hey, Olya, welcome. Um, Genesis chapter 37, verse number 1. I'm going to read it from the Chumash that we have here. Good condition. Um, but it's going to be similar to what we have online. Okay, Yaakov, Jacob settled in the land which his father inhabited in the land of Canaan. And as I mentioned, it's not just that he dwelled or settled. He wanted to dwell b'shalva. Vayeshev b'shalva. He wanted to settle and coast and retire and enjoy life with his family and please God grandkids and a fireplace with I'm just trying to think with hot cocoa can we imagine like what would have been nice to have with marshmallows maybe yeah like a nice peaceful existence not gonna happen verse number two these are the episodes these are the generations of Yaakov's descendants until they were finally settled here we go and we talk about Yosef Yosef was 17 years old and for many years, he would pasture the sheep with his brothers. He was a shepherd along with his brothers uh, with the flocks. And he was a lad, which means he would do boyish things, as Rashi says, like curling his hair and touching up his eyes to look attractive. <laughs> Interesting. He was a handsome man. He was a handsome man, so he would, you know, he would do his hair. And he would do something with his eyes, touch up his eyes to look attractive. Does that mean he wore eyeshadow or makeup? I don't know. I can't, I, I don't know that I know, I can get into the details of exactly what he did with his eyes. But clearly, there was something going on with his appearance and the Torah describes it as him being a lad or doing boyish things. In other words, things that are, you know, you get older, I guess at some point you're like, whatever. But no, I'm just, Kidding. But like, no, he was, he was looking, he was trying to be, you know, trying to look good. Next, and he spent time 
with the sons, specifically of Bilha, Bilha's sons and Zilpah's sons, the sons of his father's wives, whom Leah's sons had treated disrespectfully. So understand this. Understand this. I know I'm in the middle of, the, of, the, of verse 2. Don't worry. But what's interesting here is that we, we notice from this verse right away that the family dynamic, there are now 12 sons. Benjamin was born in last week's, at the end of last week's Torah portion. His mom passed away in childbirth. All 12 sons are born. What's interesting is, not unlike high school, there are different um, cliques, different groups that are, that are emerging. So there's the sons of Leah. The six, Leah has six sons, half of the 12. Bilhah, Zilpah, and Rachel have two each. Rachel passed away. So Yosef and Binyamin are, are, are orphans of their mom. Binyamin's a baby. He was just born. Okay? But getting back to, oh, at least he was just born last week, but he, this may be fast forward a few years. I don't know exactly the timeline here. But here's my point. The Torah tells us that Yosef would spend time with Bilhah and Zilpah's sons, with those four. Why? As Rashi says, because Leah's sons, the six, would taunt, would mock, would belittle, would bully, dare I say, whatever, would, you know, uh, not be so kind to Bilhah and Zilpah's sons. Why? Because they're, understand, they, they always had a chip on their shoulder because they knew that their father preferred, wanted to marry Rachel and was only tricked into marrying their mother, Leah, even though they had the, the half of the sons, six of the sons, and the first four, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, and they were warriors and they were strong and Reuven was the Bechar, although he messed up with moving his father's bed, whatever. The point is that notwithstanding all that they had, they still carried a big chip on their shoulder. And so what happens when you carry a chip on your shoulder? Sometimes you seek to knock others down to make yourself feel a little bit better. So it seems like they were not being so nice to the children of the maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. Bilhah being Rachel's maidservant, Zilpah being Leah's maidservant. They were whatever, they were teasing, they were mocking, they were treating them disrespectfully, etc. And so because of this, what happened was, let, now let's finish verse 2. I'm just giving you the story as Rashi and the sages explain it, so to understand the, the context. Yeah. So the maidservants weren't Jewish, right? Everyone, listen, what made Jewish Jewish? This is before Sinai. What made someone Jewish was, I mean, Rachel and Leah also weren't Jewish. Initially, they were born to Lavan. Did he consider himself Jewish? I doubt it. He was a polytheist. Remember, he had idols that his daughter Rachel stole and hid them in the camel's saddle. So... I don't think he would consider himself an Abrahamic monotheist, even though they were part of the family, ultimately. What made someone Jewish is joining the fold. Is someone, and so when Rachel and Leah... Yeah, joining the fold. Which, by the way, it's the same thing today. It's just the reason why there's more red tape is to ascertain when someone's, when someone's authentically in, in it for the right reasons, not for you know, uh, other reasons, but in it for the right... You know, in it purely for the sake of I want to be Jewish. And secondly, to make sure that they know what they're getting into, which is why you have to study and, and start practicing. Because otherwise, it could be like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm out, right? So you want to make sure that you, you're doing it so you can check it out, so you can test drive, right? You do a test drive, try before you buy. So they were Jewish. I'm going to say they were Jewish because they had accepted this way of life and they were, they were living it. Nonetheless, the sons of Leah were, and, were, and, and were disrespectful to the, to the sons of Bilal and Zilpah. And Yosef, Joseph, would hang out with 
those kids that were being picked on. What we see here off the bat, by the way, is a few things. Number one, Yosef likes perhaps to look in the mirror a little bit. Number two, he sticks up for the underdog. This is going to be a very important quality. Yosef is not one who is the bully, arrogant, whatever. I mean, he's doing these things that the Torah calls childish on the one hand, appearance-wise, but number two, on the other hand, he's defending the underdog. And what he does here, and this is the last part of verse number two, that Yosef would bring reports to their father of Leah's son's behavior, which he thought was evil. So he would bring evil tales about them to their father, about the sons of Leah and how they were picking on the other kids and whatever. So he was a, uh, what do we call it? A tattletale? Snitch? (laughs) Snitches get, well, okay. All right, I didn't mean to escalate that. Anyway, it's a rat. rat. Yeah, okay, whatever. So, and he he didn't mean it from a negative place, obviously. But uh, you know, it's kind of also part of this. Maybe it's also tied into the immaturity. Remember, he was a little bit younger than some of the other kids. Um, Again, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying maybe the context, the the fact that both ideas are combined, the looks and the reports. Maybe the message here is that he should have addressed them directly instead of telling dad, right? Maybe you should have a conversation with them directly and, uh, and see if he could affect some sort of change that he wanted to see. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Instead, he reports it back to dad. Okay. Now, that, you can imagine, caused some measure of resentment from Leah's sons to Yosef, against Yosef. Let's continue, verse number three, to pile on to this. Okay? In the Chumash, we're on page so 245. He's kind of instigating in a way that also that Yaakov instigated with Isa. I mean, you can say some similarities. Right. He's kind of like, at least he's riling up. Yeah. He's riling up the, right, exactly. He's pushing some buttons, let's right. say. Verse number three. Yisrael, Israel, i.e. Yaakov, the father. Yisrael loved Yosef more than all his sons. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's, <laughs> whoa. All right. But listen, it said that he loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel's son, Yosef, more than the other sons. I mean, it's consistent. I- I'm not saying uh, that that's a healthy thing or not, but it's, it's consistent here. Why does he love him more than the other sons? Listen to this. Because he was the son of or born to him in old age. So he made him a, fi- a, co- a robe or a coat made of fine wool. A fine woolen coat or robe. Now, what does it mean that Yosef was loved because he was the son of his old age? What does that actually mean? So Rashi explains. Rashi explains simply it means that, again, Yosef was born one of the latest, one of the, the latest sons. I'm sorry, he was the second to last son born, right? Yes, I think I'm right here. It was Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah, all of them had, had kids. And then at the end, finally, Rachel had kids, Yosef and Benjamin. So the first, okay, so he wasn't the youngest, because that was Benjamin, Benjamin. But he was, you know, when he decided to travel, he was the youngest kid. He was the baby, he was the oldest of Rachel and the baby of the family, the last 
set of kids to be born, so he loved him because of that. Rashi also brings a second interpretation that says, Zakain could mean old, it can also mean wise. Zakain means old and wise. So Rashi says, not, he, it's not just he was a son born in old age, but he was a wise son. He was a wise son that Yaakov and Yosef had a very tight connection in study. They were very similar. Rashi also says that Yosef's face, his facial appearance was like his father. So they looked alike. And, and you know, that probably made Yaakov feel a kinship, a closeness to him. So three things. Number one, he was born in his old age. Number two, they had a similar way of thinking and they studied together one-on-one. And number three, they looked alike. So there's this close bond between Yaakov and Yosef, between Israel and Yosef. Let's continue, Israel and Yosef. Let's continue inside. Oh, so he makes them this fine woolen coat, also known as the coat of many colors, also known as the technicolor dream coat, etc. Now, this is another dagger. I don't know dagger. This is another piece of wood stoking the fire of resentment, right, as the Torah specifies, spells out in verse number four. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak with him nicely or peacefully. So they saw this. In other words, the brothers were not oblivious to the fact that, he, that this kid, Yosef, was getting extra attention from dad. He got a, got a special coat. He was telling on them to their father at the age of 17. I mean, none of this was lost on, on the brothers, and they hated him. The Torah says straight up, they did not like him. They hated him, and they could not speak with him nicely. And that tells us that they were not two-faced. In other words, they hated him, and they didn't pretend otherwise. In other words, they didn't say, oh, Yosef, we love you, but behind his back, you know, speak ill of him. They made it clear. Now, that could be a bad thing, or it might be a good thing. Let me explain. Sometimes, you know, you ask somebody, would you rather know that somebody has an issue with you or would you rather have them pretend like everything's cool and behind your back stir up all this, all this drama, right? You might prefer the former because at least you know who you're dealing with than the latter. Again, you don't want anyone to hate you, but uh, at least you know where you're holding and then you can work things out. So the brothers, one thing you could say about them is that they wore their emotions on their sleeves and they didn't, they didn't hide their cards, so to speak. They, they didn't like Yosef and they told them as much. They weren't a fan. They weren't a Yosef uh, um, fan club. They didn't pretend. He knew where they were holding. They knew where he was holding and that was it. Now, in case, in case this is enough fuel, now we're about to get to the dream. So again, he's telling, he, he's, he's handsome and he's enhancing his looks. He's telling on them to their, he's, you know, telling on them to their father. He is loved by the father more than them. His father learns with him. They look alike. He gives him a special coat. Okay, let's continue. Verse number five. Yosef had a dream. And he told his brothers about it. And they hated him even more. Verse number six. This is what he said to them. Please listen to this dream, which I have dreamed. Now, again, you might wonder why in the world would he tell them of the dream? Why would he push their buttons and be like, hey, guys, I had this crazy dream that makes me a ruler over you, which we're about to see. I, I don't know. That's a good question. 
You might say he was a bit naive. You might say, yeah, I think that might be what we might say. I don't know. He didn't realize what it would cause. He just wanted to speak the truth. I don't know. What's the dream? Verse number seven. There we were, binding sheaves in the middle of the field, when look, my sheaf stood upright and it kept standing too. In other words, they were all in this field in his dream, all binding sheaves. What are sheaves? Sheaves are like the grain, the harvest, whatever. You just tie it up. So everyone has bundles and my bundle stood up, yeah, upright, and it kept standing. And then look, your sheaves gathered round and threw themselves down in front of my sheaf. Your sheaves encircled mine and bowed down. Okay, so what's the dream? That you guys are going to bow down to me. That's, he's dreaming of his greatness. He's the youngest, second to youngest of all the kids. He's got a bunch of older brothers that are, you know, warriors and shepherds and, you know, strong. And he's telling them, right, this guy that they consider to be a nudnik, if, you know, at, at the very least, he's telling them about uh, them bowing down to him. All right, verse number eight. So his brother said to him, does this mean that you want to reign constantly over us or rule us all the time? In other words, you want to, you want to reign over us and govern us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his evil reports to their father. In other words, because of the account of his words means he reported more evil things. So maybe when they said, you know, how dare you say you're going to rule over us, maybe he then told his father their reaction. Who knows? But it seems like this is not a healthy relationship by any uh, measure. Verse number nine. Sorry, we did that. Verse number, no, verse number nine. Yosef had yet another dream, and he told his brothers about it. He said, here I have dreamed another dream. And look, behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars threw themselves down or prostrated themselves before me. They bowed down before me. So I, there I was, in, not in the field anymore, but in the sky, and there's a sun, a moon, and 11 stars. And you can imagine what this is. Father, mother, 11 brothers. And you guys are all bowing down to me. Okay, there you go. How do you think the brothers felt? Probably not happy. 247 in the Chumash. He told it to his father and to his brothers. And as Rashi points out, he told it to the brothers. Sorry, he told it to his father in the presence of his brothers. This time, he didn't tell it to his brothers directly. He said it to dad, but he made sure that the brothers were there. Are you with me on this? Yes. Before, he told it to his brothers directly. Now, he's telling it to his father in the presence of his brothers. But his brothers can hear. His father rebuked him in order to calm the brothers down because he saw the brothers were kind of losing it. So his father said, come, the, the Yaakov said, come on. He said to Yosef, what is this dream that you've dreamed? How could I, your mother and your brothers come and throw ourselves down to you on the ground when your mother's already passed away, Rashi says. In other words, uh, the whole dream is a Baba Misa. You have a sun, moon, and stars bowing down to you. I'm the sun, but who's the moon? Your mom, your mom has passed away. She can't bow down. Ah, the dream is fake. Now, he said that completely to placate the brothers so that the brothers didn't really like lose it on Yosef for the second dream. But as the Torah said, it didn't really work because number one, verse 11, his brother still envied him. And number two, his father believed in the dream and awaited, kept waiting for the event, for the matter to occur. In other words, 
The father is saying the dream is, is, is Ababa Maisa. That didn't help the brothers. They still hated him. Or they still envied him in, this, in the language here in the verse, uh, verse 10. And they were jealous because they realized already two dreams. This may be, may be onto something. V'aviv shamar et hadavar. And the father, Yaakov, was waiting for this to happen. In other words, he felt that this was a prophecy that was going to happen. That the brothers would bow down to Yo- Yosef would be the leader. His brothers would bow down to him. And he too would bow down. Now what does it mean that his wife, that Rachel, who's passed away, would bow down? I don't know. We have to figure that out. But this was, this was what uh, Yaakov believed would indeed transpire. Okay, let's pause here in the narrative. Does it make sense so far? Jump in with questions or comments or additions on this. I'm quickly... Do we know any... I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go Are ahead. you going to say something? Do we know who Yosef was trying to like, dress up for and, and make himself more beautiful for? Do we... Well, did I miss that part? No, no, no. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really say. Give me a second. Let me look at the original Rashi. Okay. It, Rashi says, He was a, a lad. He would do childish things. He would you know, do his hair. He would touch up his eyes. In order to appear pretty, to appear beautiful. To who it doesn't clarify. And the truth is, I'm looking here at Rashi. Sometimes there's a footnote as to... Men in those days did get more involved. I think it was more of a... Could be that men did it. But I mean, like, it could be in general. But to me, the fact that the Torah mentions it sounds like it's more of the um, uh, exception than the rule. That's what it's making it sound like. He was the one that was dressing up, or not, I mean, like, um, beautifying himself or whatever we would call it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, clearly, see, yeah, clearly he was handsome. I mean, we know this later on, even in Egypt as a, as a slave, Potiphar's okay. wife. Yeah, she's all into him. So, like, clearly, you know, Yosef had it going on. I mean, he was a good-looking guy, and he was playing that up. For who, for what, if he was a shepherd? I don't know. What's also, so I, I don't have a good answer. I'll see if I can find something not here in Rashi, maybe in the Makros Gadolas, maybe in the larger edition of more commentaries, maybe there's something. But I'll tell you one other nuance that I mentioned but didn't follow up on. So Rashi says that he had been a shepherd. He had been a shepherd. At some point, Yaakov, the father, realizes the dynamic is not healthy. Like all day, every day, Yosef and his brothers hanging out in the field, it's not, not working out. Yosef comes home telling on them, and they're upset. At, like, at some point, Yosef gets moved to house duty. Yosef is like staying home with Yaakov, the father. They're learning. He's helping out around the house. He's not in the field shepherding. We know this because of what happens next, is that one fateful day, Yaakov sends Yosef to the field to check on the brothers, which means that he wasn't working with the brothers on the regular. But he had been. He had been around them enough to know that they would pick on the children of the maidservants. But at some point, Yaakov intervenes. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. I, uh, one could accurately say that the, the book of Genesis has a lot to tell us about family dynamics and healthy and unhealthy family um, um, Relations. It's like. I wonder if that's why it's kind of. Why we have it. Yes. 
it, it's, it's very important lessons on a very basic level, right? As a parent, don't favor one kid over the other. That always ends well, right? Always ends not well, sorry, right? That ends terribly, right? You tell a kid that you, you or you demonstrate, the, forget about words, but you give something to one kid over the other, we have like uh, an unspoken rule. I mean, not always, but like the unspoken rule is if you get one kid a present or a toy or whatever, either get a bunch of them, because we have a bunch of boys, right? So you get, get a bunch of them or get some for everyone. I mean, Reva we can get away with, that's the girl. She's the only one that's gonna get dresses, yeah. right? I mean, she gets Reva stuff. She gets bows and like the, the saw her socks, this, the, the, the poofy. The poofy socks, yeah. Anyway, whatever. So like, you know, she's got so she's got the lock on that stuff. But the boys don't care about that. But like, I don't know. I we it, these are very good lessons on a very practical level. Like, not good to create splinters in the family. Also, yeah. When we don't even favor, the they can sense. You know. That is very true. That is true. That is true. Big sibling part. I mean, that has given me solace because I, you know, I had some of that, and you know, I always thought, well, everyone else is perfect, and right. I think everyone else, everyone is probably. Yeah, like these this. are these are probably real stories. Yeah. Yeah. But I I like what Sandrine said as well, which is that even if the parent doesn't think that they're favoring one, mm-hmm. it could be that some of the children or a child thinks that the other one might be favored and that could be problematic. So I think that to, to address that, it's a very good point. To address that would require a very proactive approach to make sure that you tell each one privately that you're my favorite. <laughs> and hope they don't compare notes later, right? Hope that they don't actually compare notes because you're right, that can create Perception is reality. It might as well be reality. Even if the parent can say, no, never happened, doesn't matter. If the child thinks that, then it is what it is. It's easier yeah, if you have a boy and a girl. You know. You're know. you saying it's easier that way? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as you said, with some right. you know, features. Okay. I don't know, because with my family growing up, I just have an older sister, so just me and her. And if you ask her, I was the golden boy. But I'm just saying, uh, you know. Who knows? It's complicated. All right. Genesis chapter 37, verse number 12, reading number 2, page 246-247. Here we get to the dramatic sale of Yosef. All right. You ready? Buckle up. Buckle up. It gets dramatic. And his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Ah, Shechem. We had Shechem before. Why did we have Shechem before? What happened in Shechem? Who remembers? We just had it. Yes, thank you. That is where Dina was abducted by Shechem in Shechem. Shechem was named after the kid, Cham, okay, wealthy magnate, owner of real estate, owner Chamar. His son is Shechem. He literally names a city, Chamar does, after his son Shechem. Shechem is the prince, speak about Golden Boy, right? He abducts Dina. And then the brothers, Shimon and Levi, wipe out the inhabitants. So I guess Shem had some open area at that point. And then Shem wanted to like, so assimilate the Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted, but that ended, you know, they were gone. So at this point, again, there might be some open land available in Shem to uh, pasture the flock. So the brothers 
went to pasture their flock, their father's flocks in Shechem. And Yisrael, Yaakov Yisrael, said to the father, said to Yosef, aren't your brothers pasturing in Shechem? Come, I'll send you to join them. Again, why wasn't he with them? Because I said a moment ago, he wasn't, he wasn't a shepherd anymore. He had been pulled from the shepherding because there was too much uh, friction, too much tension between all of them hanging out all day. But this one day, this fateful day, Yaakov says to his son Yosef, check on the, check on the boys. Check on the bros. Hineni. Yaakov says, yeah, Yosef says, I'm ready. No, no, no. Yeah, Hineni. He says, I'm ready. I'm here. So Yosef said to him, even though he knew his brothers hated him, right? As Rashi says, he knew his brothers hated him. Nonetheless, he says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to jump, to step into the lion's den. If you want me to go. Now, you ask the question on Yaakov. Why did Yaakov send him if he also knew that the brothers were jealous of him, didn't like him? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question, but he sent him. There, I'm sure there's commentaries on that, why he wanted to send him. I'm, try, I'm recalling that there is a discussion about it, but I can't recall what the solution is, why he did send him if he knew that his brothers hated him. Either way, he sent. Verse 14. Because oh, yeah. you hear about the prophecy that he's going to be sold to Egypt, and that's why he wanted it to come true, or something like that. Oh, that he, he was fulfilling this whole thing? Oh, yeah, could be. I think that's why it was. Could be. Um, could be. Could be on a deeper level there was this... Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you have to say that on a, on a deeper level, this is how the story needed to play out. He needed to be alone with his brothers. The brothers needed to sell him. He needed to go down to Egypt for destiny to play out. I guess the question is, did Yaakov know this consciously or subconsciously, physically or spiritually? On some level, I guess, he was helping facilitate. He was starting the, the process of this. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so here we go, verse 14. So he said to him, the father to the son, Yaakov to, to Yosef, he said to him the following, go now and see how your brothers are doing and how the sheep are doing and bring me back news. So Yisrael sent him off from the Chevron Valley, looks like Chevron Valley, uh, the Chevron Valley, and he came, so again, they were in Chevron, where the cave Machpelah is, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried, so that's where they were living, that's where the house was, and so Yaakov sends Yosef from Hebron, the valleys of Hebron, to Shechem, where the brothers are shepherding. Now, as Rashi points out, very interestingly, there was an angel, always angels here. There was an angel named Gabriel, Gabriel. The angel Gabriel was dressed up in the guise of a man. So then a man or an angel found him and look, Behold, he was lost in the field. Yosef got lost on his way to the brothers. The man questioned him. And he asked him the following. He said, what do you want? In other words, what are you looking for? So Yosef is to check on his brothers. He gets lost somewhere. And, the, and an angel is sent to schmooze him up. The angel says, uh, what, what you looking for? Yosef says, verse 16, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me, where are they pasturing? Where are they? Now, I don't know why he expects this guy, this random stranger, to know. But if the guy offered to help, he said, I'm looking for my brothers. This is before text messages, before cell phones, etc. The man said, verse 17, they have traveled, they have left here 
which Rashi says is not just physically they have left here, but they have left. That ship, that train has left the station as far as a kinship to you. They're not acting like your brothers anymore, Rashi says. They don't love you anymore like a brother. For I heard them saying, let's go to Dosan and we'll find a legal pretext there to kill our brother. Dosan also could mean, could mean, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a Rashi here. So Rashi says they left here, they parted from brotherhood. Let's go to Dosan. They went to seek legal pretext. Nichle Dasos. Oh, Rashi changed around the, the, the word, the spelling. Nichle Dasos. In other words, um, legal pretext to put you to death. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a double entendre. Nelcha Dasaina. They went to Daisan or Nichle Dasais. They're looking for legal pretext. For what? To kill you. Uh, to, yeah. So that's kind of a, 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 a hinted, a, a um, not a hinted, that's a veiled, it's a veiled warning to Yosef from the, from the Malach Avriel, from the angel Gabriel, who's saying, like, look, your brothers are not here, they're elsewhere, but they're not so keen on you, and they're looking to, uh, to perhaps even kill you. Let's continue. Verse number 8. Uh, sorry, let's continue in, in middle of 17. So Yosef went after his brothers. And yeah, as predicted, 249 in the, in the Chumash. And pre as predicted, he found them in Dosan. All right, verse 18. They saw him from a distance. The brothers did. They saw Yosef approaching. And before he came near... They plotted against him to put him to death. Verse 19, they said to each other. And by the way, who's they? Who, who said to each other? Um, no, sorry. This must be a different Rashi. Um, they saw him from a distance. And they said to each other, I thought it was Shimon, uh, I thought it was... Um, Shimon said to Levi, the two warriors, the ones who wiped out that city, it might be. I don't see it in Rashi here, but I, I, I believe, if I recall correctly, there's a commentary that says, or a medrash, that says it was specifically those two brothers, Shimon and Levi, those, those were the hotheads, those were the warriors, the ones that took swords in hand. So, verse 19, they said to each other, look, the dreamer is coming. So now, verse 20, let us kill him, and we will cast him. Then we'll cast him into one of the pits, and we'll say a wild beast devoured him. That's it. Right? We'll kill him. No one's around. We'll dump his body, and we'll say that he was eaten by an animal. That's our alibi. That's, that's, the, that's the cover story, and that's it. No DNA, no fingerprints, no physical evidence testing, no closed-circuit uh, closed um, video, nothing, no, no physical evidence or witnesses to, to connect us with the, with the murder, we'll kill him, and that's it. However, but God's... They didn't think that God would... Yeah, so, so the Torah says, and this is what Rashi interjects over here, this is right before the end of verse 20, but God said, let's go, we're going to see what indeed will become of his dreams. In other words, you could read it as that's what the brother said, right? We'll kill him, and ha, 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 so much for his dreams. Or God is saying... 
hahad to the brothers, we'll see what becomes of the dreams. In other words, the dreams will yet be fulfilled. You could read it either, either one of two ways. Either the brothers were saying, we're going to do away with Yosef and do away with the dreams, or Hashem is saying, you're going to try to do away with Yosef, but watch, watch the dreams become fulfilled. Verse 21, but Reuven heard this. When Reuven heard their plan, he saved Yosef from their hands, and he said, no, no, no. Let's not give him a lethal blow. Let's not deal him a deadly blow. Verse 22, Reuben said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him, Yosef, into this pit that's in the desert, but don't lay a hand upon him. Why did he say this? He said this only in order to save Yosef from their hands, and then he planned to rescue him and return him to, their, to his father. So I believe, again, I believe that this is accurate. Shimon and Levi, sons two and three of the twelve, are the ones that, that come up with the idea of murdering and dumping the body and saying a wild beast devoured him. Ruvain, the firstborn, says, not a good idea. Let's not kill him. Why should, why, should his blood, why should his blood be on our hands? Why should we actively, you know, murder our brother? Let's, um, let's just throw him into the pit. And, and, and what that means is, let, let, whatever, if he gets out, he gets out. If he dies, he dies. But at least we won't kill him directly, we'll throw him into the pit, and that's it. Let him die that way, then an active blow to take his life. What, the Torah says, what was Reuven's real intention? It wasn't just not to deal him a, a lethal blow versus putting him to die in a pit. It, he was, in fact, going to go back later on that day and rescue him from the pit. Once the brothers had moved on, he was going to sneak back and rescue him from the pit. That was his plan. This is so uh to uh, being Shimon and Levi. Oh, it does say that where? Uh, so, uh, and then across, he knew that Shimon and Levi were worthless. And yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, the Zohar says that he knew, that, that Ruvain knew how ruthless Shimon and Levi were because they had destroyed a whole city. They could certainly take out Yosef, and uh, he was trying to save them from their hands, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like pretty sure, uh, it's probably somewhere even in Rashi, that it's Shimon and Levi talking to each other this whole time. Those were the ones, I mean, they were the, they were the, the hotheads, so to speak. They were the, the ones that, that went to uh, violent acts. Okay, that takes us to the end of the first two readings, reading number two, and uh, that takes us to the end of today's conversation. Um, so what do we do today? We learned about Yaakov. All he wants is to retire and just be peaceful. The drama is just beginning. We learned about Yosef and how Yaakov loves Yosef and the brothers know it and they're jealous and they hate him and they're angry and he tells on them and they don't like that and he has dreams and they don't like that. The father is trying to do some things to kind of you know, make everyone okay with each other but it doesn't really work. One day, Yosef visits them they plot to kill him. Ruvain wishes to save him. And this is a cliffhanger to see what happens. By the way, spoiler alert, Ruvain does not save him from the pit. By the time Ruvain comes back later that day to rescue him, he's gone because they had sold him as a slave. Where did Ruvain go in the interim? It says that he was doing tshuva. He was fasting and praying and repenting for moving his father's bed, which we read about last week. 
for the rest of his life, every single day, at some point in the day, he would engage in penitence, in tshuva, for moving his father's bed. Maybe that's why he also saved. Um, so it actually works the other way. The Rebbe says, what's the, what's the moral of the story? When your brother's at risk, yeah. but you have a spiritual activity for your own benefit, which, which is more important? Your brother at risk. You put, a, you put aside your tshuva, you put aside your spiritual whatever, and you deal with, with, the, immediate, with the immediate threat to your brother. This was, the Rebbe's, this was the Rebbe's classic call to not think about your own self, not just physically, but even spiritually. Not think about yourself in front of another. Real world practical. Real world practical, exactly. There's a brother in need. Don't, it's not about you right now. It's about them. Do whatever you can to save them. One more thing, just end off with this. The commentaries say that if Reuven knew what the Torah would write about him, that he saved Yosef from their hands, he would have put him on his shoulders and carried him away from the brothers and took any blows that they gave him. He would have rescued his brother. Which means that he had good intentions, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't follow through. If he would have known the extent of his ability to get the job done, he would have done it. Oftentimes, we don't believe in ourselves. And that's why we don't get it done. We don't believe that that could be our narrative. If he knew that his narrative was the savior of Yosef, he would have done it. So step one, right away. Yeah. So step one is believe in the narrative. Create your narrative that you want and believe in it, and then you can accomplish it. Okay, that was it for today. Tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel, DBP online. Um, Wednesday. Stay tuned for Wednesday information. Please, God, I am doing some traveling. and take a bit of a road trip back to Texas. Mm-hmm. I was just there a few weeks ago by myself. This time going with, uh, please, God, with the fam. So we may be driving the first half of Wednesday, Tuesday night and the first half of Wednesday. If I can do it, you may see me from a vehicle mm-hmm. in, the, in the passenger seat oh. doing a DPP. But stay tuned. I'll give more information as we get closer to that. But tomorrow, from, uh, from a stable location, please God, DPP. All right. I want to wish everybody a good Yom Tif. Tonight is the 19th of Kislev. We wish each other a good Yom Tif. Um, Chabadniks have a custom of wearing Shabbat clothing already tonight and tomorrow. So we're talking about like the long black coat and the white shirt and whatever, like the full, full on Shabbat gear. So consider, you know, just think about uh, honoring the day in a special way, however you wish to do so. Uh, the 19th of Kislev, of course, is the Rosh Hashanah of, Chassid, of Hasidism and Hasidus. It's a day in which we commit to studying more Hasidic philosophy and in which we commit to increasing, uh, to adding another Hasidic custom or uh, tradition in our lives. Um, there is a Fabrengen tonight at 7.30 in Toko Hills. At Bet Jacob, led by Rabbi Manus Friedman. I'm sure you can find as well. I don't know if there's a live stream option on that. There might be. There's certainly Fabrengans online, just somewhere. I'm sure someone somewhere is doing a Zoom Fabrengan tonight. So you can join one virtually. I'm sure of it. Just Google 19 Kislev. Maybe Chabad.org has something. Exactly. Um, but either way, hope you have a meaningful 19th starting tonight after sunset. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow on the special day, Yutes Kislev edition of DPP. All right. Have a wonderful day. Good to see you guys.
everyone. Good to see you, Olia, Sarah, Ray, Donna, and Sandrine. See you guys. Take care. All right.